Hello, I'm Meg Walker and welcome to My Kind of People. Join me as I speak to leaders and community members across the world who all share a passion for positive change. Each week we'll explore the power of community, leadership, passion and positivity and the beauty that can be created when these values come together. Each guest has been a big inspiration to me and I'm grateful to call them my kind of people. I hope they'll be yours too. I'm so excited for us all to connect really soon, but until then, I'm sending big love, good vibes and positive energy. Who are your kind of people? In today's episode, I am feeling excited as I'm joined by Ed Cunningham, the podcast host of A Need to Read, where he brings you book reviews, highlights, inspiring interviews, and all of the encouragement you could need to delve into the world of books. Ed is thoughtful, curious, and heartwarmingly encouraging in his approach to podcasting. I followed his podcast for quite some time now, and I personally love the way he thinks. So I'm truly grateful to have his wonderful brain share some of his thoughts on the podcast today. And I'm excited to welcome him into this community as he is most definitely my kind of person. And I know he will be your kind of person too. So welcome to the podcast and community Ed Cunningham, welcome. Thank you very much. That's so kind. I'm so not used to people being so kind to me. I'm like, oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> all true, all true words. I'm delighted to have you. I've been genuinely really looking forward to connecting with you because, well, I usually start the podcast by letting people know how we've crossed paths, but you've obviously only just recently learned about me and yet you still yeah. graciously agreed to come on the podcast. So thank you. But yeah, I've followed you for a while now. I'm a fellow bookworm and I've been loving your podcast. I find your warmth and energy really refreshing. And I really respect and enjoy your openness, I guess, and your curiosity towards different perspectives. And it's made me love reading even more, which I didn't mm-hmm. think was possible. So yes. thank you for that. And well, yeah, okay. it's been lovely having such a friendly voice in my ears. So I'm really delighted to be able to share it with more people so thank you oh, awesome yeah no I'm really really happy to be here it's always nice to connect with other people who are reading books and interesting to hear what people want to ask me because sometimes it's quite lonely when you're just chatting about a book in, in a room on your own like, oh, what, what yeah. people are even thinking <laughs> about this so the fact that you enjoy it is, is amazing and yeah thank you for inviting me on Oh, you're welcome. No, I genuinely do. And before we learn a little bit more about your incredible podcast, Ed, I would love for the community to get to know more about you as a person. So where have you grown and flown? Where did you grow up and where would you consider home now? I would say I don't currently have a place that I feel like is a a home at the moment. I grew up in Dorset, which is great. It's just very small for my liking at current i think i'll go back there at some point i'm currently in london not enjoying london the building's very (laughs) tall and the people walk very fast but i've lived in australia bali dorset in london i guess nice so from dorset to london and all of these wonderful places in between where did you start to develop your passion for reading have you always been a big reader no, oh my God, I hated it when I was in school. All the uh, exams in English, we had to read like Tess of the Durbervilles and Of Mice and Men. I just watched the films and just thought I'll just wing the exams and all the questions on it, which it did okay. But yeah, I hated reading. I started when I was working as I was selling health insurance, which, I mean, it's hardly the Lord's work. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ever feel like I was doing anyone a favour selling them health insurance, but that was where I kind of got into like reading books about sales and I read a few and I was like, Oh, actually I want, I just not read about sales. Why not just read about things I can do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I kind of got into the nonfiction books, reading about different perspectives from philosophers, psychologists, and I guess a lot of the self-help authors who are neither, but are really helpful at certain periods. I'm afraid of bashing self-help, but I've come to the point <laughs> now okay. where I'm, I'm, like where I'm ready to, yeah. um, but yeah, it was in it was in Bournemouth. Basically, I kind of got to a point where I was a bit of a crisis of what I was doing with my life, and I found a bit of I've just found books, and it helped me find 
me who was hiding. Mm, I love that. It's a really beautiful way to look at it. And so what have books come to mean to you? Why do you think they are such an important contribution to the world? No one knows enough, right? Mm, Yeah. And it's arrogant that we ever think we do. For some reason, we think we can just figure it out on our own, sort of blindly in the blind, when there are people who dedicate their whole lives to researching one particular topic or Mm. philosophers who really dedicate their whole lives and foregone relationships and all ties with family to think about thinking. And they've chucked it in a book that's like 300 pages. So it saves us a lot of harm if we can just get ahead of the game and read about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I find that it's almost like the author's conversation, right? They're trying to open up this conversation of a new idea for something that's really interesting for them. And it can start a conversation within yourself as well, I find. Oh yeah, definitely. I have a long, long conversations with myself. <laughs> and now I really am obsessed with reading and it's got, oh, I often try and pathologize it. Like what's wrong with me? Why do I love books so much? <laughs> I think most readers do because it gets to a stage where you really are preferring to spend time reading than doing anything else. Yeah. I don't know many other things that are actually quite good for you that will do that to you. So I'm just glad it's reading, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I say this all the time. I have quite a obsession with getting books and I was like, there could be worse addictions. Yeah. You know, so I've picked a, maybe a more healthier one. And as we previously mentioned, you are the podcast host of A Need to Read. So please, could you tell us a little bit more about how and when this was created and what do you hope that your podcast contributes to the world? I don't really know so much about what I hope it contributes, mm-hmm. but I know that it keeps me sane. Mm-hmm. And I think some other people, and I guess that's quite important, but really... A need to read was born out of the fact that my friends are bored of hearing me talk about books <laughs> and family. So all I was doing was sort of having a conversation, waiting for a certain point where I could wedge in the latest book that I'd been reading and then just getting it in there as like hard <laughs> as I could. And, and I could see that people weren't receptive to it. And anytime I found someone who did like reading those conversations that you can really light you up. Right. Yeah. And um, I was like, well, I'll just chuck on the internet. I was in Bali at the time and I asked during cartel, I was like, oh, you've got a podcast. You like it? He was like, yeah, it's sick, bruv. And I was like, I'll tell you what then, if it's that good, I'll just do one. Uh, order the mic and then release my first episode five days later. Good for you. And now here we are. This is, now it's my job, luckily. Yeah. And bookworms unite. They're all, yeah. <laughs> they're all coming for the books. No, I love that. And I love that you just went for it as well. That can be really difficult sometimes to have the courage to just start things and trust that it's not going to be perfect. But, Mm. you know, it's again, that willingness to want to start a conversation and find other like-minded people. So I love that. That definitely is a big contribution to the world, whether you see it as not. I think that's inspiring to others. And like you said, the reception from it, shows that a lot of other people want to hear your thoughts and also share in the love of books as well, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I don't like to think about it too much. I do find the concept of people listening to me odd. <laughs> I'm naturally really introverted. So the fact mm. that people are really kind to me. I mean, today you've been so kind at the start of this conversation and I find it so difficult to hear. I'm like, oh my God, stop it. Stop mm. being so kind. I'm literally just a human being just doing what I can to avoid a proper job. <laughs> no, no, it's all deserve praise and it's just appreciation for someone, yeah. you know, sharing something. That, that's why I started this podcast. I love to have conversations with people. Mm. And I started mine also during lockdown, which is nice. interesting because isn't that when yours started during lockdown as well? Am I right? Yeah, the, the first lockdown, like March 2020, or I think it was the 6th of April. 2020 was like my first upload day. Yeah, amazing. And yeah, so it's similar in that started it during lockdown. And obviously the last few years have been a very difficult time for a lot of people. It's been quite mm-hmm. isolating. So I thought conversation was important firstly, but also, and this is from a very privileged position. The pandemic has been a mm-hmm. very difficult time for so many, 
But I kept hearing, you know, everything's awful. It's bad. The news is terrible. And it is an awful time. And there's some real struggles, but there's also some incredible things happening. And there's some incredible Mm. people, some incredibly kind people. And you really don't have to look very far to find people doing good things. Yeah. You know, so I appreciate your efforts in the lockdown to do your own thing in your own little way you know, just to start a conversation and share something, some joy really, because it, you were sharing mm. something that you love, whether you had any further intentions of that. It's just really, really nice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, exactly. Sharing things you like, and that encourages other people to do the same, I think. Yeah. So, and so hopefully, you know, by now, I generally really do enjoy your podcast. <laughs> um, I still talk- think you're lying, but whatever. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll try and keep it up for the whole interview. <laughs> but you've uh, talked about some books that I absolutely love. And then you've also given me food for thought on them as well. So books that mm-hmm. I love and you've just brought, again, a different perspective or you've shown me some books that I haven't read yet and inspired me to give them a go and try out maybe some different genres I wouldn't have gone for before. So I'm intrigued to know, are there any people that have inspired you on your journey, whether that's more in life or actually in the book world, the storytelling world? I think any good book should encourage you to pick up the next one. You should want to read on right and uh there are a few sort of inspirational authors i'd find i don't necessarily have like a someone who's like inspired me but there are people who have taken bits from their books and applied it to my life and it's made a profound change like Mm. stephen pressfield essentially encouraged me to start writing i love writing whether that's an email or whether that was a book that i was writing last year and sacked off because i didn't want to write it anymore like i sat down and that was because I read that book, I never would have done so before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more recently, I've been finding like authors like Oliver Berkman or Will Store, um, journalists who write books I love because yeah. they dig into topics. And from there, then there's so many different rabbit holes you can go off. Like from Oliver Berkman's books, I've been reading about existentialists and phenomenologists and Zen Buddhism. And then Will Storr's book, I was reading about personality psychology and the history of self-esteem. I've really gone down mm. a lot of really enjoyable rabbit holes from just two authors' books. So I would say, inspiration-wise, recently, it would be Will Storr and Oliver Berkman. I hold those two people in quite high regard. I tell them regularly via email and get intermittent replies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've uh, loved Oliver Berkman's books. I read both um, his most recent one. And is it Anecdote? Uh, the antidote, yeah. Antidote, that's it. <laughs> Dyslexic <laughs> for the win. Um, <laughs> no, and I, I just love his way of thinking. And I've since hearing on your podcast, I've got Will Store. I've had Selfie on the list for quite a while. So yeah. that's on the list, ready to go. That'll change how you look at the world for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ready for it. But yeah, definitely loved. I think I found Oliver's approach especially to time management, very interesting. It's very different to what you would normally read. Yeah, for sure. I think the way that he approaches everything is just from the wrong side. Yeah. From the way that everyone else goes. And I think Mm. to actually have no time management tips in a book about time management (laughs) is fucking incredible. And yeah, I think he would have, he'll change a lot of lives with that book, 4,000 Weeks. I think for me, it dumped me straight into an existential crisis because I just realized I've been putting so much time into these little productivity hacks that last for a few weeks and then they naturally drop off and you then give yourself a hard time. And I guess he kind of gave me permission to stop doing that, which is Mm. amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because like you said, he had so very like few tips about productivity in that book yet the way you put it forward, you'd have more longevity in your productivity going for it the way that he suggested. Yeah. So yeah, no. And I love having my ideas challenged as well. I love someone coming along and completely changing the way I think mm. about it. I think. I hate it. <laughs> oh, really? I hate it so much <laughs> because I used to be so stuck in the way that I thought. And now if I've had my mind changed and then someone comes along and changes it again, I'm like, bastard. I could have just... <laughs> with what I was but like I'm getting better at it 
Yeah, no, it, I, I mean, guess the way that you look at it, isn't it? Like, I don't mind if someone's got a better way of seeing things and that makes sense, then I'll happily be wrong mm. if there's a right and a wrong, you know. But I don't even see it like that. I just see it as, oh, I'm thinking differently and wasn't necessarily yeah. wrong before. That's just what I knew then. And um, yeah. like my Angelou says, right, once we know better, we do better. So if someone's got a mm. better way of thinking, I'm more than happy to be like, that makes sense. Let's go with it. Uh, like so that. yeah, I'll take that one. I'm not <laughs> <of being> wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fine. And I mentioned briefly before about perspectives, and as well as sharing your own wonderful thoughts and insights, uh, you've also had some incredible guests on your podcast. So, what has that experience been like? What's it like to speak to people behind the stories and the words that you've been reading? Encouraging. Mm. And I would say that from a point of view that it can also be sometimes quite disappointing because there are some people that you hold in such high regard and you chat to them and you're like, oh, actually, shit, you're, you're just a human. I should not have put you on this pedestal. But that is <laughs> yeah. then also really, really encouraging mm. because these people that you think are superhuman and have achieved these amazing things because they are amazing. It's not the case. It's just someone who's kind of just done something. So yeah, it's a weird conflict, but I'm so grateful to have the conversations with the people that I have the conversations with. It's definitely broadened my mind. And annoyingly, it's always the five minutes post-recording that I get the best from them. And yeah. I suppose it's the most personal stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually cherish those bits way more than I do the whole podcast, which is frustrating that it's not recorded, but I also quite like it because then there's that bit of they've spoken to me for an hour and then they give me something. Yeah. Weird. Like that little gift at the end, that little personal touch, I guess that shows how much they trust you after the conversation, Mm. which is nice as well. And yeah, I've loved the guests you've had on. And I think like you say, when you get to speak to these people in person, it makes you realize how accessible reading and writing can be. Like you say, you you put these people on this pedestal as if it's something unachievable for yourself. And then when you meet them and realize they're just humans, like us that maybe have had more practice or been fortunate enough to have a different opportunity, you know, what's possible. And I've heard that you've been writing your own work as well. So how's that experience been writing with your own words? That's obviously very much a journey. It's not something I'm doing anymore Mm -hmm. on the, the original idea that I'd had. So last year, I wrote about 45,000 words of the book. And incredible. Yeah. It, but then again, it's not even that incredible because it was just like, I just did it every day for three months. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like it's incredible. But when you break it down to how simple it was, I wrote 300 to 600 words a day. And all I was doing was making stuff up. <laughs> and it was dog shit. When I, I read through it after mm-hmm. like a two months off, I was like, wow, that is terrible. And I was writing first person from the point of view of like a, girl in her early 20s I I don't know that world and I don't know why I thought I did I think I did represent it quite well but I I need the experience of that life right now as like an amateur writer essentially yeah to have headed into that project thinking I was going to make something amazing was pretty naive but I'm glad that I did it because I've proved to myself that like when I have an idea I can then act on it and it now seems so simple to me yeah and like I've got a few ideas that are maturing at the moment, I know that I should be sitting down to write, but I'm just a little bit afraid of having that same mistake again of getting to maybe two thirds into the book and not actually really having a story. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's what you need, I guess. I don't think you need something big for it to be incredible. Sometimes the simplicity is the incredible part of it. The fact that you were dedicated enough for three months to sit there and write away at something to actually have 45,000 words, that is incredible. And also the fact that it's a journey as well. That idea has taken you to where you are now. And that's when with that experience, you can be like, ah, actually that's maybe not the area I wanted to go in on reflection. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely shown me what I shouldn't do and it's shown me what I then can do as well. Yeah. Uh, so the ideas that I'm developing at the moment, I'm just waiting to get this one part of it. I have most of a story, but I have no, there is no hero's journey currently. There is just a hero. Mm. And 
I need to work out what the journey is. Yeah. What I actually want to represent. I have the character. Yeah. I have the seed of nihilism. I have the seed of arrogance, all of those different things the main character needs. And I have little bits so that the writing process will be quite easy because there's little sub stories that I can put into it. But it's just what is that call to action of the mm. protagonist? And I'm not excited by any of those ideas just yet. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm just going to keep developing it. I'm writing stuff every day in my notebook, like little stories or little things that I have. So yeah. the process has started, but the actual process process has not, not started. Yeah. No, that's sometimes what you need though, is step away from it. I'm constantly mm. writing down notes and ideas everywhere. If you looked at my notes, that you'd think I was like Rain Man. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, that's but, not a bad thing. I like a, yeah. Most people I know with a good brain have a lot of notes and the notes are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's piecing it all together. But yeah, good for you for three months dedicating your time to that and just being creative. I think that's quite in itself, quite a powerful outlet. Would you say you're creative at all, apart from writing, that you use that as a form of expression? I would say with jujitsu mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like I'm at a stage now where I'm good enough to be creative with it and I do focus more on the creative expression side of it than the assertion of dominance yeah uh, which is quite nice i do now see it as a martial art as opposed to what i throw it as before as a way to choke someone out so yeah i would say there's that but then also i'm injured at the moment so i'm in training bless you yeah no not really i often pick up my ukulele and just make up shit songs and i'm trying to learn the guitar at the moment as well so actually i guess there is a few there i'm not very good you may have noticed this or may recognize this throughout the conversation or in my Mm. podcast is of saying that i am good at stuff Mm. i'm reluctant to say it and that will be the case even if i get to a point where i am truly amazing i just thought well just all right isn't it well i think it's a far better place for me to be i've tried it all and this is where i find peace in this Mm. point of oh you think i'm creative maybe i am i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I think that's what I find most engaging about you as well, though. That's one, it's obviously very humble, but also just that, again, it comes back to that openness of you're not a finished book, which we're all not. So I like that. I find it very engaging, the fact that, you know, you're always constantly wanting to learn and thinking that you can do better. And I don't, I've, from what I've experienced from you, I, it doesn't come across as a negative. It comes off cross actually quite refreshing and positive of your I think it's amazing that I'm shit at so many things (laughs) how fun is that that I get to keep trying to get better at stuff and learning I do not get sad often but Mm -hmm. if I do get sad it often has something to do with the fact that there are just so many books out there that I want to read yeah and I can't seem to find the time yeah I go down that inception of thought at all Mm. times Someone the other day was like, do you ever worry that they'll run out of books? I was like, no, <laughs> I have the opposite <laughs> problem. <laughs> yeah, that is very, yeah, there's no, no way run out of books. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will run out of time. Yeah, no, I love it. And I've been obsessed since I was little about storytelling. Mm-hmm. I love hearing different people's point of views. And I then went into creatively, I went into acting because I think that mm. same idea of being able to step into someone else's shoes yeah. and get to experience a different view of the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it helps you shape your own view and think, you know, how do I want to show up? What's my view mm. of the world? And what skills do you think reading has given you or helped you develop? Compassion. Mm. Uh, I'd say I'm a better son, brother, friend, I guess, citizen of the world as well. I'm yeah. Less of a prick, <laughs> <laughs> less of, not completely wiped. And then that's just like from fiction, right? It's like you, fiction, reading literary fiction will just make you a better person. Yeah. And there are countless lessons I've taken from nonfiction books, which enabled me to help in conversations with friends. Mm where I never would have been able to help before. Like when friends are struggling, being able to like frame it in a different way for them or helping them see a different way or like looking at it from a different angle. I would never be able to do that if I hadn't read so many books. So that's probably links back to then that better son, brother, friend thing. Yeah. And again, that compassion side of things, definitely. And 
I think it creates empathy as well if you're able to have a little bit more of an understanding of someone else's experience and Mm. also self-compassion as well if you're able to understand yourself a little bit more and appreciate yourself a little bit more I think is huge yeah for sure and like I've done quite a lot of work with self-compassion because I don't have a track record of being the best to myself when stuff comes up Mm. and I like self-compassion I do think it's really useful and I'm now at a stage where I'm like well me and myself we're just mates right Mm. and that little voice in my head there is a love there that is has to be unconditional, right? Yeah. So when it lashes out at me, I'm just like, he's at it again, silly. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can just get on with my day. And I think there's so many things on the internet trying to like say like, you have to love yourself. You have to be so confident. It's like, oh, hold on to I Can I just do not that? And it seems like a really hard task to try. Or I can just not listen to the voice so much and not give it so much power. Mm. And, and that is, I've found the way that works for me the most. And I imagine there are a lot of people out there who are trying to put square peg in a round hole with all the self-love stuff and just going about it in a way that's not necessarily going to help them. And, and it's probably causing more upset than is ever going to be necessary, which I, I find that a real shame. And that kind of gets me out of bed in the morning that people on the internet spout shit. And I'm like, right, well, I might as well carry on not spouting shit. <laughs> Yeah, we need someone to level the playing field for sure. And yeah, I think that's such an important point because we hear self-love, you know, love yourself more and that. But a lot of people are like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? And for me, I think something I've talked about a lot is this idea of selflessness as well. People talk Mm. about it and it's almost worn like a badge of honor. Selfless, it's going to be this. But what that literally is, is considering yourself less. And you can get very lost in that. Whereas I personally would like to coin the term self more. I think we'd be a lot further in the world and doing a lot better if everyone considered themselves more. What are my values? What's important to me? How am I behaving? What do I like? And if everyone was considering themselves more and more aware of themselves, I think that's a much more positive place to lead and would lead to a lot more self-compassion rather than this badge of honor of being selfless. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I disagree Mm. because there's a real problem I see in society of real selfishness. Yes. And again, this is not self and that's not self more, Mm -hmm. right? We're not saying more selfish. We're saying more of consideration for the self. Yeah. But uh, you'd have to be so clear with the message because people will take it on board the wrong way. And they're like, well, I suppose I could just be more selfish. And it's a shame, right, actually, because this is a bit of a cycle that we see Mm -hmm. is people will go from being really selfless and and living by the values of their family or friends around them. And they'll take on board this identity that's not actually them. Yeah. Then they have a crisis. And rightfully so. They deserve it. They've been living wrong. And that's what happens. You get a sign from whatever it is, your brain, your body, who cares, that says, nah, stop what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They then get into this self-love and selfishness. And before they know it, there's a lot of people who somehow manage to be low self-esteem narcissists. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just not enough space for nuance in the like self-help kind of genre. And they're like, you need to be selfish. You need to put yourself first. But it's like, well, actually... If you look at the research, one of the biggest contributors to your self-esteem is your relationships. And then they're like, oh, okay, how can we panic now? Oh, you have to fill up your cup before you give to anyone else. So actually, if you think about mothers, when you're first born, their cups are not full. No. (laughs) They are (laughs) underslept, but they are keeping you alive, which is great. It's amazing. Cheers, mom, (laughs) if you're listening. Um, And it's about finding this balance between the two, because I've certainly found times where I've been really selfish and kind of tricking myself into thinking that I'm doing what's best for me. So then I can give it out to the world. But four months later, I'm still doing it. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't spoken to any of my friends or family for four months. What the hell am I doing? It's it's very easy to fall in the trap. It's such a gray area. I'd love to be able to work it out, but maybe it's one of those unworkoutable questions of life of like how selfish and how selfless do we have to be? 
Yeah, no, you're right. And you're so right about the grey area and actually being very clear on that as well. Because what I'm not saying is to be to not think of others at all, yeah. which could oh, be no, selfish. But I'm glad you brought it up because it does take some explaining. You're right, because people could take that and be like, yeah, great, I'll be an asshole. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. I'm only going to think about myself from here on out because Meg said. But the idea of considering yourself more and having more self-awareness, I think, is really important because, and again, if you are being selfless, you're, I think, like I said, there's almost like that's celebrated of like, I put everyone else mm. first but myself. Whereas actually the idea of considering yourself more is being more aware of the self yeah. and that autonomy, like you are in charge of your thoughts and actions. And again, being aware of your values as well. And that for me, it does help you then show up better for others. Yeah. Cause that's somewhere in most people's values is some form of connectedness, right? So once you yeah. actually take time to work them out and then like, Oh Yeah. Maybe I should spend a bit more time with my family or with my friends, or maybe I'll go and make new ones. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Because if your top value is connection and actually none of your actions lie in with that, Mm. (laughs) you know, you don't pick up when they call, you're always too busy doing your own thing to see them, then that's, is that really one of your top values? Because that's not what you're placing the most importance on at the moment. Yeah. And I definitely find it interesting. I've had quite a bit of experience with meditation and mm. that's something I've certainly, yeah, it's being able to step outside yourself and have that awareness. I think it's really important. I don't know what, if you've had any experience with meditation. I, well, I meditate every day mm-hmm. and I haven't had those experiences that mm. people speak of, but it certainly helps me show up better in the world meditating just to sit down for 10, 20 minutes, half an hour. I'm doing 15 minutes at the moment. I'm giving myself a real hard time for it because I absolutely know when I sit for an hour, life is so much better. Yeah. It's a difficult task at the start of the day and most things will not be as difficult as sitting still for an hour in the morning, which sounds so easy, right? No, it's not though. And I I think that's the thing because people, I think a lot of people give themselves a hard time and one in that they think meditation is always going to be a Zen experience, but it's not. (laughs) It's uh, very much actually meditation is just being aware of your thoughts. And actually the more you can do that, the more you see the need for balance, you're going to have both. But also I think people give themselves a hard time in that, oh, well, I don't have an hour in the day, so I just won't meditate at all. Yeah you know, and even a little bit makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. People throwing the baby out of the bath wall all the time <laughs> on so many different things. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, I think meditation is a hugely powerful tool for people, but it's also, again, not the only tool as well. Like for mm. some people, meditation is just not for them. Yeah. And that's okay. I, um, I'd say that those people, they like really make sure that that's the case. You know, mm. you know, when people are like, oh, I did it twice and it's just not for me. So like, well, maybe just do it for three months and see if it's not for you. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people I've spoken to, I think it comes back to that idea again of they think they're doing it wrong mm. and you, you can't do meditation wrong, really. No. They're like, I was sitting there for like 15 minutes and I was just so aware of my thoughts. I couldn't stop thinking. And I was like, well, you were meditating then. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Whereas people think they need to have this Zen experience or enlightened or the irony of that is if you think you're enlightened then you're not enlightened (laughs) which can be very discouraging as well at the same time I remember I was at a meditation retreat and we're a few days in and the teacher was talking about that and there was definitely a moment of well what's the point (laughs) yeah (laughs) three days in thanks for dropping the ball on that one that's amazing Um, how many have you done Oh, in terms of meditation retreats, yeah. I just did the one. So I did Vipassana, which nice. is a 10 day silent meditation retreat, including yeah. eye contact. And yeah, it's intense and definitely mm. probably the hardest thing I've ever done, but also by far the most rewarding experience I've ever had that changed me massively in so many oh. ways, big ways, small ways. But well, what a study of my own brain. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was fucking terrible at the time. 
Oh yeah, like every minute felt like an hour. And also like everyone thought, all my family thought I was joining a cult. I just had this within myself. I was like, I have to go. And mm. there were certain dates I had in my head and I could not tell you what was driving that. It was just, I've only really had that feeling twice in my life where mm. I'm like, I absolutely have to go and do this. And I suffered for a long time with anxiety and I didn't even realize it was quite anxiety, but I was on this constant anxious hum. And since the meditation retreat, I just don't have that anymore. Unreal. That's fucking amazing news. Yeah, it was incredible news. And yeah, it's just every minute feels like an hour in there, but it really is a amazing experience of your own mind and you really see because there's zero distractions in there you've got Mm. nothing to distract you and you're meditating for like 14 hours a day I couldn't even meditate for five minutes when I went so a lot of people might think you might build up to that like no I've tried to I've tried to do a day one um my friend Dave in Bali has like a retreat center and he does like an online one Mm. and it's kind of like split like you do 15 minutes 10 minutes discourse half an hour 10 minutes discourse 45 and then it keeps going up and I got to the two and a half hour meditation got to the end of it so I'd done a total of maybe seven hours throughout the day and oh my god I just had that one little seed of doubt and that was me done yeah I'd beaten it so many times during the day and I was like you're literally sat in your flat in Clapham mate go and smoke a joint (laughs) stop doing this I was like, fine then, if I if I have to listen to you. So I'm looking forward to actually being locked into a retreat. Obviously not locked in, but yeah. to be actually committed. Oh yeah, it's on my list for this year. So amazing. I'll definitely be doing that. I'll probably do maybe one a year if I can if I can get away with it. Yeah. But, and if a passenger doesn't work for me, I'll I'll try something different. But yeah, I'm excited to just get some time time on the cushion. Yeah, no, I'd love to hear your experience of that. So keep me updated. And what's cool is once you've done it once, you're an old student. So then you could do a three-day retreat, mm. et cetera. But yeah, you really, because there's zero distractions, you are so in tune with yourself. And I really understood the difference between an intellectual understanding and an experiential understanding in there. There'll be things that I would have swear blind. I'm like, no, I'm cool with that. Like, I understand yeah. it, I get it. And then actually experiencing that it's a completely different level of understanding and I remember I think it was day three and I was like I have to get out of here I have to (laughs) like this minute and what makes you realize as well is how much we rely on others just to make us feel better Mm. and because you couldn't speak to anyone you really had to break the vow of silence if I wanted to leave so I had to be like okay, right, what am I going to say to them about my reason for leaving? Please let me go. Yeah, on day three. Oh, I just, I was, I was searching the courtyard to see where I could make a run for it. But I had to think, okay, if you really got to leave, Meg, what are you going to say to them? Well, it's nothing to do with the facilities. The facilities are lovely. You're not in any danger. And I had to really talk myself through it. Mm. And I came to this, what people will laugh because seems very obvious but I came to the understanding I was like oh my goodness the thing that I'm uncomfortable with is myself and then I had this very very scary realization of oh my goodness I will be with myself for the rest of my life even if I leave here I come with me and I had almost a meltdown (laughs) which for me seemed crazy whereas on the outside I probably was just walking looking very normal but I was having a complete crisis. And then, yeah, I was like, okay. So there was just this fully full body understanding of doesn't matter what you do, where you go, you bring yourself with you. And if that's the problem, then you might as well just work it out. Yeah. And from there, it completely changed the game. Yeah. Because it wasn't that. just a thought. I physically understood that. I was like, if you are uncomfortable with yourself, that's a massive problem. So it doesn't matter where you go and outside you're going to have so many distractions, right? So you're not as aware you can just pretend, but that's the real problem. So you might as well just stay and get to know yourself. Unreal. I'm so excited. Thanks for sharing that. I'm buzzing. I'm excited for you. And I know you cover a variety of genres on your podcast, but would you say you have a particular genre of books that you are drawn to? 
nowadays it's philosophy. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually read a fiction book since I read A Little Life by Hanya Yangahara. Oh, that's on my list. It's a big one, but I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah, it'll ruin your life, but you'll love it. <laughs> it's incredible. But yeah, philosophy, I'm really keen on philosophy at the moment. And mm. I, I think it's the most helpful thing that I can read, or maybe even anyone can read. But then I'm saying that having already read a load of like the other books that have been helpful for me so far. So like present bias is definitely mm-hmm. at play, but yeah, like a quite a good book that I'm reading at the moment. It's called the Socrates express. Um, oh, I haven't heard of that. It's by a guy called Eric Wiener. Just a good name. Uh, and Great name. <laughs> I'd be proud of that. <laughs> yeah. It's like 14 different philosophers and different life lessons from them, but it's just incredible. And mm-hmm. this is the kind of book that's going to encourage me to read other books from that. So it's nice to hole. get like a journalist view of philosophy and then I can go and get it from from the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing that happens in my notes app. I also love, like with journalists, they're investigating, right? They're going mm. to different sources and then you read something like, right, okay, write that down. I want to explore that more. Yeah. It makes it really fun. And for anyone wanting to start reading or read more, do you have any advice into how they can make this more accessible? I think just setting a small target of Mm -hmm. 10 minutes a day and putting that into the first part of your day as well is the easiest way. Get your phone out your room and when you wake up, just read your book for 10 pages. It'll be on quite a nice and relaxing start of the day. And over time, you're probably going to start wanting to do more than 10 pages. And I would say commit to it every day as well Mm -hmm. and keep that limit of 10 pages for the first two weeks. So you actually have a desire to read on. Yeah. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, speaks of habit stacking. So before I clean my teeth, I will read 10 pages. If I don't, I can't clean my teeth. Mm. You're suckering yourself into the habit. Yeah. Being like, like oh, something bad's going to happen if I don't. And that means I'm going to have bad breath. No one's going to want to speak to me from that point onwards because my breath stinks. Um, (laughs) But I guess just don't read a book that you think will be shit as well. (laughs) Find something that you are genuinely interested in and that could be the trashiest novel ever. Mm -hmm. But read something that you're going to enjoy because you don't want your opportunities to learn to be limited by a bad book that puts you off in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people try and read a book because they've seen someone else recommend it and it just doesn't land with them. They're like, well, reading shit, isn't it? Because that <laughs> book was terrible. So actually there are millions of books out there. You're going to love a lot of them. You just have to find them. And that's the fun of it. Yeah. Clicking through books to find them or going to a bookshop. I find it quite overwhelming going to a bookshop. As much as I enjoy it, I do mm-hmm. think there's just a lot of books in there and it's too <laughs> much too much choice. And yeah. I'll end up having to sell myself outside the bookshop to afford everything. <laughs> But yeah, I find something you love and read it first thing in the morning. Yeah, great advice. And also Atomic Habits for people, that is also an excellent book recommendation. Mm. If there's anything you want to start a habit with, really, really great book to see how you can kind of implement it into your life Mm. more easily. And over the last few years of creating your podcast, you really seem to have created a really beautiful community around you for both the listeners and the guests. What does community mean to you? And has your idea of community changed over the years? I am quite introverted Mm. and I am not so social because as a consequence of that. Mm. So I don't get much interaction with people who listen to the podcast and Mm. I'm very cynical about people who have particular communities online because Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, come to my group, pay me though. (laughs) There's a lot of people who are really, really money motivated and I just, I don't get it because I'm not. Yeah. And then because I'm not that social, that kind of puts a block in between Mm -hmm. me and my community as well, which is a real shame. Mm -hmm. I have gone and like met with listeners and then I'll run a workshop around the first of hopefully many workshops actually recently and got to chat to 20 odd people who who joined that and that was really nice yeah but it's just me trying to work out a way that i'm not absolutely fucking drained yeah and not trying to just rip people off being like hey my time's so important pay me five pound a month and you might get a slice of it it's like i, I can't bring myself to do that so i don't i don't know what the the community means because i'm not too in touch with it which is mm-hmm. a shame but 
maybe I need to work out how to implement so, that a bit more. So what would, as an introvert, mm. what would a ideal sense of community look like to you perhaps? What would make... Me and like one or two other people. That's a community. <laughs> it's a little, like yeah. this kind of conversation I love. It's just yeah. it's me and you and it's one and one. When it goes beyond three, I shrink a little. Yeah. And that is, I don't know why it is. I've tried to pathologize it before and try mm-hmm. to make it a problem. But really, it's just, that's just what I like. I like the smaller kind of conversation. So I guess, yeah, community to me means small group of people. <laughs> no, and I love that. I'm very similar, actually. Yeah. I'm, if I had a subject to talk about, like I could go up on stage and talk about a subject mm. with lots of people, no problem. But in terms of socializing, small group of people uh, yeah. like you, anything above two, well, even maybe three or more, I find quite draining. I do mm. a lot better in small groups and small talk, I find exhausting. Oh, I'm not about it. People ask me how I am. Like, why do you care? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas d- deep conversations, I'm all about. So a lot of my yeah. friends are like, that's very confusing. Yeah, <laughs> like, we confuse people. But... <laughs> I'm like, no, I just, small talk, I find really difficult, really draining. I'd much rather have a very small group of people that I have some deep conversations yeah. with. And it's learning that that's okay. I think community doesn't have to be a large group. I think community can be a small group Mm. of people that you commune with and sharing thoughts and ideas and caring for. And I think it's also finding what your strengths are and where you feel comfortable in these spaces. And social media is something I'd would be interested to talk to you about because we both as podcast hosts were online. I personally work online as well. I'm a coach Mm. and which is interesting as an introvert (laughs) experience in itself and also letting people know about the podcast online as well. So I've had a really interesting relationship with social media and it's taken me a while to find peace with the space, I guess. Because it was a very inauthentic space to me. So I really take my time to make sure I'm showing up authentically in what feels like an authentic space. So what has your relationship been like with social media as a place to share your work? And have you managed to find balance with this? I think it's a constant working process. I used to show up a lot more and show a lot more of my life. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend at the time was an actual Instagrammer. Like that's what she did was working on Instagram. And yeah. I think I kind of got sucked into that. I don't think I'm important. I think that's kind of clear. We can take that from this conversation at least. <laughs> so me sharing stuff about my life online or like achievements and stuff online, it doesn't feel that authentic. Mm-hmm. So like, I just don't really do it anymore. Yeah. But when I come on and I'm talking about something, it's because I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think distancing myself from social media for a bit from the back end of last year I was very intermittent with it and then I actually was going to stop the whole thing because I was like I can't deal with Instagram I can't Mm. deal with going on there and seeing stuff and being judgmental and then judging myself about being judgmental there was all of these different ways in which I was annoying myself and what seemed to be at the center of those ways was Instagram and I was like well there's a simple solution here boy you just get off it (laughs) yeah So I stopped posting for a little bit and then I was like, okay, how about I just change things up? So I like change my logo. So it Mm -hmm. forced me to change the type of content that I was putting out because I didn't really feel I was being that helpful, just putting like a quote from a book. And now I've started to do a lot more video content Mm. because it means that I get to explain stuff in a better way. So I guess that's how I do things now is I will talk authentically. The videos aren't edited. Yeah. It's just me for a minute explaining an idea hopefully pointing someone towards a book that I got that idea from because it's very easy to get sucked into social media and to think at some level not necessarily that <laughs> this sounds horrible but to think that you matter yeah no I and agree. you matter so much that you have to show people everything yeah I don't know why we're all obsessed with this idea of being bloggers yeah it doesn't seem like a healthy society to me yeah and I really struggled with that and I was mm. like well ugh, I'm part, I'm being part of the problem if I maintain the space that I have on there. Yeah. And then I kind of went for a circle and I was like, well, actually, 
I'm only part of the problem if I'm doing like, hey guys, get ready with me. It's like, hey guys, just go and live your life. Actually, don't don't get ready with me or anyone. Yeah. Get ready yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, you cynical bastard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 2022. This is how it is. You can't change it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And yeah, I think I've had similar look into a relationship myself with it and this idea that you know not really wanting to be in an authentic in what felt like an inauthentic space to me and then I've kind of flipped it on his head and actually now I try and have quite fun with it and be curious of it of how I make it my mission of like if I'm going to use this space then I want it to feel authentic to me otherwise for me there's just no point showing up in that space if I'm not authentic to me means real so if I'm not going to be real in that space, then it's got absolutely no purpose for me. And yeah. I'm not going to be influential to anyone else because I'm not being myself. They yeah. might as well just follow someone else. And I find it useful. Actually, I try and think of it as real life scenarios yeah. as well to make sense of it, you know? And if I have my page, my home, then I want to feel comfortable in my home yeah. and whoever I'm welcoming into that space. But yeah, it's definitely taken a while to kind of get my head around it and start using it again in the way. Because it, it's a nice creative space as well. Like I'm a creative person and I like to creatively change my thoughts. But for me, I have to very much go on their post and then I try to come off really. I don't post like to ghost. have too many other influences or ideas really. And then just for me, it's... Again, going back to my values, my values are all about impact and connection. So using it to have proper conversations with people. So I try and give value and actually chat to people on there and have conversations, which I can do then one-on-one. Yeah, nice. Which is nice as well. So I'm glad you've managed to also kind of have a journey with it and see what feels right for you. Yeah, for sure. It's taking a little while, but I'm at a point now where I'm comfortable with it and I don't want to quit. And that's good. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. All about finding the balance. And something else I'm interested in talking to you about on my first season of this podcast, I was talking to a Canadian rap artist called Connor Price, and we were discussing the internet's impact on music as we both grew up in a time where you physically went to stores to buy your favorite music. And then we had tapes and CDs and you actually had to put a bit of work into going to access music. And we've since now had this internet boom where you can download things in seconds. So I'd be interested to know your thoughts on the internet's impacts on books. Like for me personally, there's, I absolutely love having a physical book in my hand. I Mm. think that's from growing up as a child and the excitement of going to the library, flicking through, and then actually having a physical book to take home. However, I literally cannot fit any more books in my room. (laughs) So I can definitely see why then Kindle can be such a fantastic service of having all your books in one place but I do worry sometimes that it's created this culture of instant gratification and a consumption overload almost because it's so much easier for people just to instead of just savoring a book flicking through from one to the next you've got apps now that just give you a short summary we can listen on double speed so yeah I'm just interested to know your thoughts really and if this affects your approach to reading at all. Uh, so I read mostly on a Kindle now, I'm mm-hmm. ashamed to say. I can't buy any more books because <laughs> my bookshelf is full and I want to move out of the country in July. So I, I cannot accrue any more books. Mm-hmm. And Kindles are the best thing ever. Yeah, you shouldn't be it's ashamed like, to say I've, I've had to go down that route myself. There's no more space for books. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but I love it. And I take it absolutely everywhere with me. And it is portable escapism. and. I read more books because of my Kindle. Mm-hmm. I can read just before a nap and I can drop the Kindle and it doesn't matter. I don't lose my page. I don't have to worry about marking the page or anything like that. But those apps like Blinkist, short form, I read because I like to slow down. Yeah, like I, This world is very fast and mm-hmm. maybe too fast for me. So it helps me handle it and earning the information, I guess. 
more that. more power to people who have got more going on in their lives where they need to be doing short form and blowing kiss and learning it in, in 15 minutes. But I'd question whether they really might just need to slow down in general with their mm. life and they might get to a point in five, six years time. They're like, oh, well, I've been going very fast and I don't know where I am. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like I'm not a fan of those summary things. I like an audible, but not very often. I do really prefer just to sit and read the book. Yeah, no, me too. And I think I like Audible. I think it makes a lot more accessible for people. I mean, I'm dyslexic, but I've been fortunate in that I've always been a keen reader. I think if anything, it's helped me with my dyslexia. But I know for some people that really struggle with that, Audible makes it more accessible, right? And they're still enjoying the book in some way. But yeah, I do worry about kind of the consumption overload. There's just so much information in the world as it is I remember in year 10 so we're talking a long time ago doing an essay actually on the information age and now we're like over a decade (laughs) down the line yeah and it's just even more and I just worry like it's almost an overwhelm of so much information that we can't take anything in yeah way way too much I think we take on about 170 or 184 newspapers worth of information a day it's mad yeah and like you think uh, do you know what especially russia have invaded ukraine right that's terrible mm-hmm. back in the day you'd have had to watch the news actively or pick up a paper to see a terrible photo of a woman who is pregnant covered in blood mm-hmm. being taken out of a building that is now thrust upon you on your instagram feed yeah our bodies i don't think we are made for that i don't think we should be seeing stuff like that on a constant basis. Of course, that is it's dreadful that it's happening in the world and we can't be ignorant to it, but it being thrust in our faces when you're meant to be looking at a photo of your friend's breakfast or something like that, yeah. it's not great. <laughs> no, I don't even watch or read the news anymore. I no. just find if it's really, really important, I'll find out about Someone it. But tell, you, yeah. you don't even have a choice. Mm. You know, I, I don't used, actually I used to not watch it. And then I read the guardian like online mm-hmm. and i'll if there's something relevant that i need to keep up with i'll be like right i know that they're good journalists and i know that it's probably not always a balanced view mm-hmm. but i'll get the relevant information but you just can't seem to avoid it on the internet is everyone wants to show you the latest breaking news even if they're not a journalist like, come on guys go back to whatever you were doing for your normal day job <laughs> yeah. stop, stop trying to give us news well because it's, it's like before you would have news maybe once or twice a day, the morning and evening. Yeah. Now it's 24-7. They're constantly having to find new information. And how the human brain works is we are more familiar with kind of chaos and trauma. That's more what we go for. And that's the more intriguing news is when things are going yeah. wrong. Sucks, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> so that's why I just ignore the news and do podcasts and read my books. Yeah, it's a good way to do it the only way I've been able to cope and yeah so you have read a lot of books you've opened yourself up to a lot of perspectives and you've shared a lot of thoughts so with all of this considered is there anything you think that we need more of in the world and is there a book or maybe a couple of books that you think everyone could benefit from reading I think more ideas people should adopt necessarily than reading the book because a couple of books I've just read Mm-hmm. One on Martin Heidegger and one on existentialism. Two things most people would not want to read about. Heidegger, <laughs> unfortunately, was a bit of a Nazi for a little bit and, and didn't actually apologise for it. So he's not the greatest guy ever, but just so happens to be one of the most influential minds of the 20th century. What about I know, I know. <laughs> but then the way that I really am trying to convince myself to be compassionate, like I don't know what it's like to work under the Nazi regime mm-hmm. in a university. And for my two sons to be in prisoners of war camps mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union, which the Soviet Union like forced labor camps were the most fucking dreadful thing in the world ever. Yeah. Um, one of my friends just reading the Gulag Archipelago and the stories he's telling me, I'm, I'm excited to read the book so I understand the extent of how far human evil can go. Anyways, back to Heidegger, the Nazi. Straight. Um, <laughs> back to him, <laughs> if we must. He's like a one of the founders of this phenomenology, which is essentially just being in awe of the world that we're in. Like yeah. it is fucking incredible that 
we are born, odds of that very slim, to be born in the safest, most prosperous time ever is incredible. We're very lucky. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that means we don't stop and look at trees and we don't stop and look at the grass and we're never really in awe of anything, of nature. We are abusing the planet, I guess. Mm I'm over the idea that humanity is like a tumour on planet Earth. I used to really think that, and now I think we're all right. Well, um, we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done. Um, Thank God for books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think people pay enough attention to what's going on around them. Yeah. And getting into like existentialism phenomenology would be a good idea for that. Mm-hmm. Um, existentialists, I love them because they repent God and any kind of pantheism, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm very stuck in my ways with that. I'd love for someone to prove me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's yet to be the case. And they don't believe in like purpose or yeah. your job every day as a free individual is to choose your meaning and choose the direction you want to go in. I, I think that. a lot of people are hoping for this one shining star at the end of their life. And that's the direction I need to go in and I'll follow on this path forever. Yeah. And actually life's better when you turn left when you should have gone right sometimes yeah and I think having a little bit more of a directionless existence is quite enjoyable yeah and maybe a bit more natural yeah 100% and it's something I talk about in coaching a lot of the time as well people are waiting to get somewhere and I'm like you're living your life right now (laughs) it's right now and actually you're where you wanted to be three months ago so just enjoy where you yeah. are now, which seems very simplistic, I know. Hard but it's constantly going on to the next thing. And quite often mm. at the end of the day, everyone just wants to be happy. We all just want yeah. to be happy individuals. And we seem to have this roundabout way of once I get this, it will allow me mm. to have this to be happy. And you've got that right now if you just look around you. Yeah, for sure. I changed my mind on that from reading The Sweet Spot by mm-hmm. Paul Bloom and it's about pleasure and suffering and pain and and how we can mix them all in pursuit of a good life. And Daniel Kahneman, who's like one of the leading researchers into happiness at some stage was like, I'm just, I'm leaving the field. Mm -hmm. People don't want to be happy. They they want to be satisfied. So it's a cross between hedonia and eudaimonia, eudaimonia, (laughs) don't know how to say the word of like meaning and happiness. Yeah. And we don't even remember our happy moments as well as we think we would. No. So It's about satisfaction. And I think that for me, it's like choosing a few little meaningful projects that we do, or maybe choosing one meaningful project each day that you then feel satisfied with, which as a byproduct, you would then be happy with. I guess I'm actually just agreeing with you, really. Yeah. We we must be satisfied before we're there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just being satisfied in the moment rather than pursuing the same thing. And that's why I think gratitude can be an interesting thing to look at. I don't think we, it's a hard concept to understand gratitude. Sometimes it's like, well, at the end of the day, I just look at what went well today. Yeah, that's good. You know, what did I enjoy about today? Yeah. That's probably going to be the thing I'm grateful for is with a lot of people you say gratitude, like what does that mean? What's that I hated concept? it for a long time. I couldn't do it. I used to be going to every therapy session, like, am I broken, Anna? Because I'm not grateful for a fucking thing. <laughs> and then I started learning about history. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful to be alive now. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I just, we attach to stories and I guess to know what you're not going through can certainly make you grateful for what you are. Exactly. So that's how I find gratitude at the Mm. end of the day being like, you know, what did I do well? What went well? What was Mm. my favorite part of the day? And gives you some agency that as well. Like, yeah, just to what went well for me? What did I play a part in? It's not like, oh, the sky's blue. It's like, you didn't fucking do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's something I need to tell you. I have another job. (laughs) And yeah, no, that and also, and then it gives you an opportunity to then say as well, like, how would I like to show up tomorrow? Mm. It might not be perfect, but, you know, I have control of that and use that as a lesson. Yeah. Learn from it. And what can I do tomorrow to show up better and in a way that's more in line with my values? I think it's really important. And for you, 
I need to read and say we're a few years into the podcast now. How are you hoping it will continue to develop in the future? I'd love to give you a, a good answer to that, but I'm very laid back about it. That I'd is love a to say that answer. I care how it goes, but yeah, that is a good I don't answer. think I do. I guess I hope it carries on, but this quote annoyingly stuck with me from Epicurus that was cease to hope and you cease to fear. And it's about that kind of letting go. And I really have kind of embodied it now. If someone takes this away from me tomorrow, I do something different. It doesn't matter, which is an annoying. It is annoying to think that way when you compare it to how I used to think about mm. how I set goals. And it's just a frustrating idea to adopt, I guess. That's what I mean more than it's annoying. It's like it's new and it's different. And people in our society want aspirations. And I guess I just don't really have any anymore, which is so strange. Yeah. And maybe chuck a bit of failure my way and I'll change my mind. But yeah, for now, I'm just going to keep doing what feels right, which is doing the podcast and reading and talking about the books because I guess it's it's helpful for other people and it's really helpful for me. So yeah. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, really love that answer. In my opinion, that's a very good answer. And it just shows that it's coming back to that being present, being satisfied in the moment and just being aware of what you're doing now and keeping doing the same thing, right? Yeah. It's almost like walking a tightrope when you mm. first start thinking like this. And I imagine you have this at, at different stages where you're like, no, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind. Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's new. It's different. And uh, we'll see where it gets me. Could all blow up my face, but then what would it matter? No matter because you weren't thinking about the future anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll deal with it as it comes up. We're not worried about it. I love the podcast and I love the way you think. And I would love for more people to hear your thoughts and be encouraged to read. So, how can people do this? Where can they support your work? I need to read on your podcast app mm-hmm. or I need to read with a number two instead of the word two on Instagram where you'll see me talking to a camera, talking about books. Or telling you what I'm doing today. <laughs> <laughs> the possibilities are endless. And uh, before we wrap up, I know you've already shared so much wisdom and insight today, but to finish, do you have any parting words of advice that have served you well that you would like to share with the listeners? Something to finish on. Well, they'll never be able to predict the future. I think the most like revolutionary realization I ever had was that I cannot predict the future. Yeah, And it was when someone asked me when I was talking about my like prediction of something that would happen. So, oh, hold on. How many times have you been right about this stuff? Mm. I was like, oh yeah, literally never. And I think yeah. sometimes people just need a reminder of that mm. because we can spend an awful lot of time in our head trying to work out how things are going to go and running through these simulations, but it's pointless. We have to catch ourselves and then we live out the simulation, but in real life. Yeah. Fantastic advice to land on. And I think, yeah, I definitely that will give some food for thought for people and I agree wholeheartedly. So Ed, I've genuinely loved talking to you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your time, energy and thoughts today. Thank you for being open and curious and encouraging others to do the same. Thank you for starting conversations and for leading with kindness. You've been so encouraging in helping getting more people to read in a way that feels right for them. And I think personally that you are a catalyst for change and I think your thoughtfulness is a blessing. So thank you for being my kind of person. You legend. Thanks for having me. That was so kind. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of My Kind of People. I hope you felt the positive energy from this week's guest. If this episode was of value to you, then please rate, review and subscribe. It's so greatly appreciated. Thanks again.